Well, again, good morning. Good morning. Are you awake? Can you not hear me? Because I'm not 100% sure today. I've got my tea here, but we're out of mint tea, so it's rooibos. You ever had rooibos? It actually is delicious. Okay. Um, if you will, head over to Luke 2, right? It's Christmas Day. We're going to look at this passage. Now, you might not know this, but today is a national holiday. Uh, it is National Pumpkin Pie Day today. And uh, I love pumpkin pie, but that's not why I know this little fact. I have a friend in Texas named George who one day was ranting to me about how annoyed he was that every single day is a national day dedicated to something. Um, and he went off on it for so long that like any good friend, I began texting him every morning, happy whatever day it was. And that's been about eight months now, um, right? Happy Cupcake Day, happy Talk Like a Pirate Day. Uh, I think he was probably going to think twice before ranting about anything to me again. <clears throat> it's changed his life, probably not for the better. Um, <clears throat> anyway, as I've learned about this, it's been informative to me about all these weird national days that show up every day. And I've began to wonder, why do these days even exist, right? Now, the cynic or the realist in me thinks it's all about money. That's why these days exist, right? The, the dairy industry pushing this national ice cream day is about selling a bunch of ice cream. And that's why there's about 20 variations on national ice cream day, right? Milkshake day and Rocky Road day and ice cream with Skittles day and everything. Now, that's probably true for some of these. Uh, but it's also because people love to celebrate things that they find wonderful, right? That's, that's why somebody loved tacos so much that they went to the trouble to make sure that October 4th could be designated as National Taco Day. Now, you probably know this already, but December 25th is almost certainly not the actual birthday of, of Jesus. Most believe it was sometime in the spring, right? Um, this holiday this, that we celebrate this time of year, it was originally a Roman holiday called Saturn, Saturnalia, which celebrated the false Roman god of Saturn. Now, here's the way it, it worked out. They would take a break from work on that day. Everybody, no matter where level they were. Uh, they decorated their homes with reefs and other greenery. Uh, they enjoyed a feast with friends and family together, and they gave each other gifts that they would share with each other, right? This is all sounding quite familiar, probably. Um, but here's what happened. The early Christians decided that they wanted to recognize the birth of Jesus as, as, as one of the greatest events in the history of the world, right? And I say one of them because the resurrection would probably, I don't know, they all kind of have to go together. But... Um, they wanted to recognize the birth of Jesus, and so they, they chose this time because there was already a celebration going on. It was easy for them to come in and, and, and really hijack this for a much better purpose. Uh, and they simply wanted to have an official day to just celebrate the birth of Christ, the day that God came to dwell among mankind, the incarnation, right, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So um, let's read about this now, the birth, not Saturnalia, uh, in Luke chapter 2. And follow along, if you will. We're going to read the first 20 verses, actually, of Luke. You're like, I wish your voice was better if we're going to read that much. So, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And when all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, uh, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. A lot of commas there. Uh, and, while they were with, uh, and, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds turned, glorifying and praising God, uh, returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, uh, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray again. Father, on this Christmas day, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the incarnation, for, for Christ's sinless life and redeeming sacrifice, for his glorious resurrection, so that every man, woman, and child who looks to him with faith can rest assured that our sins are forgiven and that our eternal home awaits us. May we never grow tired of this glorious moment in history. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, so here's the situation. There's this guy named Octavius, Caesar, uh, that's who he is, the Roman Caesar. Uh, and he, he sends out this proclamation. He says, hey, everyone, you have to go back to the town you're from so you can fill out this registration so you can pay taxes to Rome, right? Because this is the most efficient way to do it for some reason. Uh, and so Joseph, who lives in Nazareth, takes Mary, his betrothed, like a fiancé, and to his hometown of Bethlehem, uh, the same town that, the ancient, that, that King David was from. Uh, and it always intrigues me here, right? Because when, when God comes to dwell among his people, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I put my mind, if, if I were God, what would I do? And it's a horrible thing to do. But I think we fall into that. And I just think I would have appeared as like a 22-year-old, just ripped guy, right? I would have been powerful. I would have put myself in some position of, of authority coming into this. And yet that's not what God does, is it? He begins his humanity at the same place all of us begin our existence, as a tiny zygote in the womb of his mother. Anyway, here is, 
the greatest event in the history of the world. And, and not only that, but it occurs in this, this little town, right? This Bethlehem that's of, of, of really no significance. And in fact, due to the end being booked, they're now sleeping in a room, staying in a room where a bunch of animals typically stay. And, and when Mary goes into labor and gives birth to Jesus, there's no crib, right? And so they take him and they, they set him into a manger, right? This is a food bowl. They set the baby into an animal's big old food bowl is what's going on here. And so Jesus is born in this insignificant town to these relative poor parents, and his first bed is an animal's bowl. And the humility that we see here in Jesus from these first moments of, of his coming into humanity sets the whole pattern that we're going to see throughout his, his life, throughout his ministry, through the resurrection, like always, right? That's, that's who Jesus is. Now, now Christian, this, this humility that we see in Jesus is to be the pattern of, of your and my life as well. The, the humility of our Lord should, should really humble our hearts as we, we follow after him. And so then God sends an angel to announce the birth of Jesus. That was a, a common thing to do that significant births were announced, but they were typically announced from royal places to significant people, right? And it might surprise us that Jesus isn't born to powerful or significant parents. And, and now we see God doesn't send the angel to the socially or politically or financially elite either. Right? It's not the, even the Jewish priest, which is where you'd kind of assume they'd be going to. Um, no, God sends this angelic creature to announce this historic events to shepherds. Most of you probably know this, right? Um, professions carry with them reputations. It's just, there's just no way around it, really. You think of, of doctors, you, you think of professors. They, they carry this reputation of respectability, of intelligence, uh, social workers, right? You think of them as compassionate and, and caring people. Uh, lawyers have a little less replicable, you know, noble reputation in our society. Uh, used car salesmen is not usually a good reputation. Politicians, right? And, and you and I know these are reputations. They, not all used car salesmen are shady. Not all politicians are, are crooked and not to be trusted. But th those reputations are built on the backs of, of some politicians, right? being crooked. Now, the shepherd's reputation is so bad that their testimony is not even admissible in, in, in court, right? No one trusts anything they say. They, they were thought to be thieves. They were thought to be liars. They were thought to be so incredibly unintelligent that there's no way you'd bring them in as evidence for anything. Uh, in fact, the, the Jewish author Jeremiah, not, not the prophet, said, um, there is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Right? So we're talking the bottom of all reputations. And yet God doesn't care at all about their reputation. Uh, he sends his angel to these shepherds to announce this glorious, glorious moment in history. Now it was night there. Night. There's, there's no artificial lights. You and I really struggle to ever understand what the world was like because there's so much just general light pollution, as they call it today, that it's hard for us to ever find ourselves in this sort of darkness, this crazy dark. And yet here they are at night. That They've herded their sheep into the pen where they're going to lay down among these sheep for their protection. It is so dark. It is so quiet. And, and suddenly, here is this unimaginable creature illuminated before them. I, I have often tried to get my head around this. Right? When you just 
how terrifying that moment would be. You don't know what it is, right? But it's, it's illuminated. We picture flying. I don't know if that's absolutely accurate, right? But, but just the idea of, of a big old angel standing there, right? I've shared this. Some of you know this story, right? But when I, when I was in fifth grade, I woke up one night to my bedroom door just being slammed open and this figure standing there, actually standing there with a bunch of stuff um, in his hands. And I was absolutely terrified. I remember just shouting, ah, what do you want? Who are you? All that kind of stuff, just terrified. And, and the figure didn't respond, just stood there. It was like a movie. Um, and stepped toward me. And then at that point, I finally realized it's my brother, Greg. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not responding to me at all. And he throws his covers, his sheets, everything from his bed onto my bed and just turns and walks out of the room. And I'm standing there watching this all go, I mean, how do you think I slept that night? Um, I don't even want to get up and go find out what's happening because that was terrifying. Uh, Now, the next morning, he had no memory of doing this, absolutely none. He had been sleepwalking. And he went back and just slept on his blank mattress. I don't know why. Um, but as scary as it was, there was that moment when I realized, you know what, this is my brother. And this is weird, but he's not going to do anything scary to me. It's just Craggy. Now, the shepherds, they, they didn't get that. It's just this boom, this glowing light, right? And this terrifying creature. And look at verse 9, right? It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. That, that word glory originates from a Hebrew word called kavod. And it means weight, like something heavy, right? In fact, uh, that, that's why C.S. Lewis, when he wrote that book, right, he calls it the weight of glory. That's, that's a play on words there, right? Um, there's this, this heaviness to the glory of God that you notice. It can't go unnoticed. It'd be like if I took a 16-pound bowling ball and I tossed it in your lap right now, you would, you'd know that I tossed a 16-pound bowling ball into your lap. You'd, you'd know that. It can't go unnoticed. Now, despite the fact that the word actually carrying this idea of weight in the, in the Hebrew, uh, when we see God's glory described in Scripture, it, it's almost always this dazzling light like we see here. Right? It's brighter than Griswold's house at Christmas time. It's just this dazzling light. And in fact, Revelation 21 22 describes the eternal city. And, and, and in that city, we, we see the magnitude of just how luminous God's glory is. Listen to this it says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God gives its light. Just God's glory is going to illuminate this, this city. I got to drink a little rooibos here. Right? That's, that's the future that we're looking at there. But, but on this event, um, this night in the past, the glory of God shines as, as this angel appears. And the shepherds respond exactly like you think they'll respond, right? They are terrified. It says there in verse 9, right? They were filled with great fear. Well, yeah, duh. Of course they were. When anyone in Scripture gets a glimpse of, of the glory of, of God, what, what comes over them, right? Is, is this sense of awe and wonder. It, it's, it's universal in Scripture, right? Because they begin to get this better understanding of, of who they are in comparison to, to who the Lord is. You think of the prophet uh, Isaiah, right? When, when he looks upon the Lord and, and suddenly he is just crushed from the weight of the glory of God that, that he sees. 
It leads him to that, that famous say. I, I quote this all the time. I love it, right? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When, when we get a, you know, uh, you probably haven't had that opportunity to, to look on the Lord's glory like that, but when we get a sense of God's glory through Scripture, right, even a little bit, we start to realize that we're, we're not as good, we're not as pure, we're not as righteous as we, we maybe think we are most of the time. And, and suddenly we just know I'm, I'm nothing compared to God. Nothing. It's kind of like a, a parent, right? As you grow up, you kind of wrestle with your kids a little. And you can dominate a four-year-old, right? You feel like, I am a beast, WWE, right? Uh, you feel incredibly strong. But, but right, if, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson walks in, it's like, Let's, I'm next after that four-year-old. You suddenly realize, I'm, I'm not so strong, I don't think so. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the way it is, right? When we come, become aware of the glory, or God's glory, we realize just the distance between God and ourselves. And, and, and that can be a terrifying thing. That, that's the shepherds here. Not, not just fear of the angel, but awe-inspiring fear because of the presence of God's glory all around this angel. And, and so the angel does that thing they always do. I don't know why they do this. Am I allowed to criticize angels? Uh, right? He says, don't be afraid. Right? right? If you could see what I'm looking at right now, you wouldn't say that, right? And, they, you know, the shepherds are like, well, what makes you think I'm afraid? Is it because I'm crying? Right? You know, but the angels, they, they, they give this reason they shouldn't be afraid. Right? We won't just say don't be afraid. Look at verse 10. For behold, I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All right, good news. Like, you're going to disappear now? Um, no, I mean, good news like, like this, that today the Savior has been born. That's, that's what they tell them. And that means something to these, these Jewish shepherds, right? You, you notice the three titles of Jesus there in verse 11. He's called Savior. Someone who, who rescues another one who saves, right? He's called the Christ, right? That's the, the Greek version of the Hebrew word for Messiah, uh, which is the Old Testament title for the, the one prophesied who was going to come and, and rescue God's people. Uh, and so he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. <clears throat> and then the third title given is Lord, meaning he's somebody with authority. And that, that's significant that he gets announced this way, right? Uh, uh, someone with authority, a, a name that's often used to describe, right? The Lord, God, Almighty. And it, it's used here, all these are, because that, that's who Jesus is. That, that's who they're announcing who Jesus is, right? The, the second person of the Holy Trinity is who this, this child is. Now, do you understand that Jesus' birth is good news for everybody who understands themselves to be a sinner? I know some of us get down on ourselves, right? I, I messed up. Why did I do that again? I, I keep sitting, all that kind of thing. And, and, and you don't need to do that. I don't mean it's, I don't, I don't mean to chastise for you that, right? Because we do want victory over sin. We, we need to engage in the battle. That's, that's important. But, but don't lose sight of the fact that you being aware of your sin, that's a pretty amazing thing. Just the fact that you're aware of your sin is a gift of the Lord to you. Why? Well, because Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners like you. Sinners like me. Um, 
In our, our passage, the angel tells these shepherds then how to, how to recognize this, this new, newborn Savior, right? Um, and suddenly there's this multitude of heavenly hosts. I always think, like, you were like, don't be afraid. There's more of us, uh, right? Except that's not going to be terrifying. And there's just this bunches and bunches of angels now, this massive choir, who knows, hundreds, thousands. Uh, either way, right, these angelic beings are like a massive choir, and they sing, and they, and they sing these lyrics you see in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a sight. What a song. I mean, can you imagine? You know, I mean, I love, right? Revelation says we're going to get to see something like that. Maybe not the same song, uh, but we're going to get to see these angels singing. So anyway, tons of angels are singing, and within their song is this phrase, uh, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's this proclamation of peace. You and I, we live in a world that longs for peace, really longs for peace. You know, in the last 300 years, there have been 386 wars in Europe. I don't think that even counts Ukraine. Um, since the year 1500, was that 500 years ago? I have none of my mathematicians here today. Uh, 500 years ago, right? There have been 8,000 known peace treaties that are signed. That's on average, what, 16 a year? Um, each treaty was signed with the intention that this treaty will last forever and produce peace in this situation forever. On average, they lasted about two years. Not real long. Our, our world longs for peace. But really, our, our world longs for peace far more important than just the absence of war that these treaties speak to. The famous philosopher uh, uh, Epictetus, almost 2,000 years ago, wrote... While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man really yearns more than outward peace. He can't. The emperor can't do that. No, no, no man that we know besides Christ can do that. Um, cannot give the peace that we really need, which is the peace with God. I mean, that's the peace you need. That's the peace I need. Um, People often talk about getting right with God before they die. That, that's their way of saying, I, I really need to be at peace with God. I don't know if we're on good standings. If I, if I die and stand before the Lord, I, I don't know where we're at. I really need to, to know where we're at. Um, right? That's their way of saying, uh, you know, that, that's what the peace that this wonderful child being born that we're celebrating today, right? That's the peace he brings. Now listen, if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, it's because God was pleased to give you faith. He was pleased to give you faith. He was pleased to make peace with you. And, and Christian, maybe, maybe, maybe you need this passage today for one simple reason. Right? Everything going on in the world, your life, whatever you got happening today, maybe you need this just to remember that you don't need to be anxious about the future. You don't need to be anxious about death about anything else. And here's why. Because God has given you by grace through faith the only thing that you truly need. He's given you peace with God. So it doesn't matter what else happens in your life. You have peace with God. Right? That's the beauty of this, this birth of, of Christ that we're celebrating. So, so then the angels leave and, and these shepherds 
these dirty shepherds, they go uh, away from seeing the baby, right? Or rather, they go to see the baby. Uh, and when they find Mary and, and Joseph and whoever else is there, I always wonder what that was like. Like, there's someone at the door for you. Who? A bunch of shepherds. All right, a lot of men, I guess. Like, like you know, that's not who you want, I mean, right? If I were like, there's someone at the door for you. Who's there? It's, it's that car sales guy we saw a few weeks ago. You know, or don't know, but he says he's from there. Anyway, um, right? And, and so they share the words of these angels with them in this moment. Um, in, in verse 18, it, it says, right, that everyone who heard this wondered. All right? Except for Mary. Mary doesn't wonder. It says she pondered in her heart. She kind of experiences this different. Because can you imagine for her what, is, what a strange thing it is, right? The, um, you know, God in flesh is the child in her arms at this moment. And it's been a while since the angel visitor. You know, this, this sounds crazy to people today. It just does. If you walk out and tell people the, the story of Jesus, it sounds crazy to be. It certainly sounds crazy to Mary too, right? You begin to wonder. I don't know. I remember what an angel said to me, but it all seems a little crazy to me now, right? But I, I can only surmise it was reassuring to, for her to hear these words from these shepherds, right? Bringing this message that confirms everything the angel had said to her nine months before. That her child is the fulfillment of the promise that God will redeem his people. It might do us all good to ponder in our hearts the birth of Christ, the, the life of Christ, the work of Christ, the, the love of Christ for you, for me. To ponder the gospel. What, what, what Jesus is coming means for how you live your, your life and, and how you face your fears in this life. And then I, I love how the passage ends because... I mean, the shepherds understood the, the future hope that this child would fulfill as, as they leave, right? Their whole life's been changed by this. And, and what, do we, what do we see them doing? Look at verse 20, right? They are glorifying and praising God. We, we don't know what the shepherds were doing previously, right? Before the angel appeared. But their shepherds, their reputation's not real good. Telling stories, complaining about in-laws, trying to sleep, telling jokes. I mean, who knows what they're actually doing, but... But now we know that they are praising God. Maybe they've known something from childhood about, about a Savior that they'd heard when they would gather with their, the, the people, right? Maybe they had stopped believing in his adults, but, but now they believe. They know it. They're forever changed. And this is the moment, this is where the passage always kind of surprises me because I, I just think if that happened to someone today, they're probably getting a YouTube channel they're probably getting a book deal. They're probably going on tour somewhere. Let me tell you about the angels that visited me. Let me tell you all this stuff. But they don't do that. They go right back in that field. And they pick up where they left off. They have sheep that they need to care for. Uh, they go right back to the same job. Uh, with this new understanding of the world in which they live. With new hearts. With new understanding even of of this, right? And they're just overflowing in praise to the Lord right where the Lord has put them. Right? They, they show us that even the most mundane jobs are, are good in the sight of the Lord. And, and so then, that this is how God puts on flesh to dwell among mankind. This is real history. I feel like I have to tell you that because we get so familiar with it. And we live in this world where it seems unreasonable. And yet God does amazing things 
amazing, amazing things. And, you know, beginning here, maybe not beginning here, but here for sure. And so let me just remind you, this is not we're celebrating some made-up story about a, a baby Jesus. This is real history. Even though it's crazy, it's real. And, and the reason is that, that God does this is so that, right, that the God of the universe can be at peace with you. If you know that your sins are forgiven in Jesus, rest and rejoice in that. For it is a work of God in you. It is a great gift of God to you. It really is. If, if that's not you, I want you to know that, that this child who humbly entered the world as a, as a baby grows up and, and does miracles. And, and he proclaims forgiveness of sin. Uh, and he lays down his life on a Roman co- cross, right? It's a perfect sacrifice to purchase the forgiveness of sin for all who will trust in him by grace through faith alone. And so either be seeking peace with God because you don't have it this morning or encourage you to to find or to rest in the peace that you do have with God through Christ. Rest in that. Because there there is no greater gift than that in your life. All right then. On this National Pumpkin Pie Day, Let us celebrate with grateful hearts the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me me pray for us. Lord, would you give us hearts and minds like Mary on the day that the shepherds visited her? That we too would treasure up all these things and ponder them in our hearts. And Father, we thank you for the wonderful food we'll eat today, for the gifts that'll be open, for the celebrations of all sorts, but Help us to remember this, this, this reality. Thank you for this miraculous pregnancy and, and simple birth that changed the world, that changes our lives, our eternities forever. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.